He created the stars. He created the mountains. He created the seas. And he, the creator of the universe, created me. I am his. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. You guys doing well this morning? Yeah, all right. Got a couple of claps, kind of a smattering of claps. Uh, we want to welcome our Appleton campus and our online campus, Germantown. Could we give a big shout out to our other campuses? Well, like Nate said, like Nate said, like Nate said, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, it's my honor to be able to speak this weekend. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to start in verse 11 in just a second. Um, Pastor Aaron is celebrating with family and from out of town and all of that. His oldest daughter, Anna, is graduating from Germantown High School uh, just a little bit later today. And so kind of a big weekend for the Cole family. And so uh, it's my honor to be able to speak this weekend. And we're in a series called I Am His really looking at the book of Ephesians. It's going to be fairly predictable every week what passage of scripture we're going to be going through because we're just going to be walking through it all the way through the book, through the most of, most of the summer. And so today, I want to read in its entirety, just right up at the beginning, I want to read these 12 verses to you. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you today, but let's follow along. This is a massive passage of scripture when it comes to uh, theology and God's covenant with us. Starting in verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, if you're an underline or highlight person, it's a great two words to underline. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray today. God, today we recognize that we need your help in just understanding your word better, more clearly. And this is a passage of scripture that is so rich in theology I just pray that you would illuminate it to our hearts today, that you would open our hearts to what you want to speak to us. 
And you give me clarity of thought today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In 1996, my dad uh, sat me and my brother and my sister down, and he said, hey, kids, just letting you know, we're going to be moving. And, uh, you know, as I was going into seventh grade, that didn't, it didn't phase me a ton, to be honest with you. I was kind of like, that sounds great. Um, and we were moving from uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota to Appleton, Wisconsin. And so it was going to be, it's a six-hour drive between the two. So it's, a, it's like a major move, you know. It wasn't just, you know, we're just moving across town or something like that. So my dad had gotten a new job. And so um, the only part about it that gave me a little bit of anxiety, and by a little, I mean quite a bit, increasing anxiety was going to be the first day of school. It was right around the corner. We had about a month between when we moved and when school started. And so the nerves started setting in. And I knew that that first day, I wasn't going to know anybody. I mean, there was, we didn't have any family. There's no reason to move to Appleton other than my dad's job. We didn't have any family there. In fact, we were moving further away from any family that we did have. And so uh, I was getting a little nervous. And so the first day of school, I uh, get there, and right away, I just seem to be reminded of everything that's not familiar to me. Um, Wisconsin, Minnesota, generally speaking, very similar cultures, okay? So we're not talking about like a major culture shock or anything like that, but there were little nuances that just kind of threw me for a loop. First of all, I get there, everybody's wearing green and gold. (laughs) What? You know, in 1996, pretty good year for the green and gold, so that was quite the year. And I wasn't dumb enough to wear purple and gold, so I I wanted to make friends, not enemies, and so I wasn't one of those types of people. But it was, you know, everybody, every because the football season had just started, it was just underway. Everybody is wearing Favre on the back of their, their shirt. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, I get there, and um, there's little words and things that are, people are saying that are just, I, I had never heard before. I had heard things like rummage sale. I, I never had heard that in my entire life. It was always a garage sale. And... And then there's, uh, somebody said, stop and go light. Excuse me? And, uh, you mean stop light? Well, no, it's a stop and go light. You stop and you go. <laughs> what, what about yield? Well, you know, uh, somebody had asked the question, the teacher was asking, what, you know, what'd you guys do over the summer? And there's a couple people that said that they spent the summer at their cottage. This is, is this 1740? Like, I, I didn't know people used that word. I, I, I'd never heard somebody refer to what I would call their cabin. I'd never heard somebody call it a, a cottage before. So there's just little things like that that I was like, okay, this is, this is new. The one that takes the cake, by far, um, I, I, it is burned into my memory. I was sitting in Miss Belial's math class, and there was a kid. Uh, I could tell you exactly where I was sitting. There was a kid right over to my left named Steve Carlin, Raises his hand and says, Miss Belial, can I go use the bubbler? <laughs> what? <laughs> it took me a week to realize that, he, that they were talking about drinking fountain. Because I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to be... Everybody thinks... I thought it was a toilet. I didn't know. I was like, okay, he's talking about a drinking fountain. Um, so there's anxiety that's kind of filling me. Because I'm, I'm reminded that there's just differences. And I don't know anyone. And so... Uh, the, the part of the day that I dreaded the most was, was just, just coming. It was uh, lunch. 
I mean, as a seventh grader, lunch can, the first day of school, even if you have friends there, it can be a little anxiety filled. But not knowing anyone, I'm going through the lunch line, getting my, you know, tray of food, and I'm dreading the fact that in just a moment, I'm going to have to turn and just start walking and find a place to sit. And I, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm introverted by nature, and so, like, that's my hard wiring, so I'm not one that just goes up to people and says, can I, hey, can I sit with you? You know, that's not me, and I'm fearing rejection, and just, ah, oh, man, I'm just going to be a total loser sitting by myself. I'm going to, like, sit with teachers or something weird like that, and I'm, I'm dreading what's about to happen. And so I turn, I start walking, and I vividly remember this, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a kid standing up, and he, he calls out, Ryan. I'm thinking, yeah, yes, God. I, uh, <laughs> he's, he's talking to me. He's looking right at me and saying my name. And as I walk close, I just walk like, kind of like a tractor beam. I'm just like walking right towards him. I'm like, okay, who are you? And then I, I recognize him. I say, oh, this is a kid that I had actually met at a, uh, we had like a little orientation a week before school for anyone who was new to the school. And he was there as a kid that was going to be assigned to different people. And, and that day he was assigned to me to help make me feel welcome. <laughs> so it wasn't as cool as I thought it was, but I didn't really care in that moment. I was like, I don't care if somebody paid you to sit with me. It, I, <laughs> just, I have somebody to go sit with. And so he's, his name was Dustin Ogilvie. And he says, Ryan, come over with me. You can sit with us. And he introduced me to a bunch of other kids. And what's kind of funny is Dustin became one of my very good friends all the way through middle school and high school. The kids that I sat with that day uh, were, most of them were friends that I had all the way through high school. And so it was pretty providential in that moment. But I I tell you that story for, for a purpose and a reason, that that moment where I heard Dustin calling my name and saying, come sit with us, maybe more than any moment in my life, it was like an incredible weight was lifted off. All that anxiety that I had, and the rest of the day was great. Because uh, like I had friends now. I mean, like I, I knew some people. I had names and faces put together. All the anxiety just melted away. I mean, it was like snap of a fingers, total relief. Just a sigh of relief. Felt like, felt awesome. If that, that, that relief, and maybe you can relate to that, maybe you've had a moment like that, that you can kind of put yourself in that, those shoes. That relief that I felt, if you could multiply that feeling by about 1,000 and up the stakes by about 10,000, we'll begin to get a glimpse to the relief the church in Ephesus would have felt when they heard Paul telling him these words, the, words that, the, verse that we, the verses that we just read through. It was a tremendous groundbreaking, revolutionary thing that they had never heard anyone say, most likely. This was brand new to them, that they were now included in the family of God. This was brand new. And so today, I want to take a moment, if you'll allow me, I want to just kind of take you on a little bit of a journey. And, and it's going to require giving a little bit of the background between the Jew and Gentile conflict that existed uh, before, you know, Paul came along. Um, and so I don't, I'm not meaning to bore you with history. Some of you are history buffs. Others of you might, that's not your thing. And I'm not trying to bore you or whatever. But I think it is so important to understand some of the history. If we're going to really understand this passage of Scripture, if we're going to understand really the book of Ephesians in, in greater detail, and maybe more importantly, if we're going to understand 
most of the New Testament, I think it's paramount that we understand this, this dynamic that's going on here. So I want to give you a little information, then we'll walk through a couple of the verses again. And at the very end, just a couple of real practical, unrelated from each other, but just some real practical applications. How do we take this verse? How do we apply this to our life today? So first, we have to understand that there was an incredible amount of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Um, When Paul wrote these words, it was intense. Uh, There was a lot of conflict. And in, in the Bible, we read, really, there's two groups of people. There's Jew and there's Gentile. Anybody who came through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was known ethnically as a Jew. That was, you know, Abraham being the first one. And everybody else was known as a Gentile. So if you did not have the the blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob flowing through your veins, you were not an ethnic Jew. You You were known as a Gentile. So I would venture to say that most of us in this room, probably almost all of us in this room, would identify ourselves as Gentiles. And in the Old Testament, God chose to reveal himself specifically to the Jews. When you read through the Old Testament, there are promises that that in the Old Testament had only applied up until this point, had really only applied to Jews until Christ came. And we'll get to that in a minute. But there's verses like Deuteronomy chapter 14, starting in verse 2. He says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. He's talking about ethnic Jews. He's not talking about Gentiles right there. At least not at this time. Genesis 17, 7, this is the covenant God made with Abraham. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of the descendants after you. This is the covenant God had made with Israel. And there's many other verses that we could get into today, but I think you kind of see there, there, there was a covenant made with the Jewish people. And because of that, as I think would be the case with any of us, there was, I mean, if you have the God, the creator of the universe saying that you are his treasured possession, not not everybody, but just you, I mean, you would have a lot of pride, I would think. And that's that's exactly what happened. There were a lot, not, not, not everyone, but there were a lot of Jewish leaders that had an incredible amount of pride and haughtiness when it came to their lineage, their ethnicity. And there was tensions that that were created, not just from on the Jewish side, there was many tensions. Uh, Romans were, they, they wanted, they were that way about their culture. You know, Greeks, they were that way about their culture. There was very, everybody was kind of exclusive. Like our culture is the best culture. Our, you know, this is the, this is the way you need to live your life. And Jews were no different than that. And if you read through the Old Testament, you see things like, you know, all, all of the good guys, generally speaking, are Jewish. And all of the enemies are are Gentile. And so Jews would, you know, there, there was just, they were trained to not get along with Gentiles. Jewish leaders would say things and they would make things, make this tension even worse by saying things that the reason why God made Gentiles was so that he had kindling for hell. I mean, this, that was something that Jewish leaders actually thought and said. A common prayer amongst Jewish men was, thank God that I was not born a dog, a woman, or a Gentile. It's pretty offensive. 
If a Jew and a Gentile got married, uh, the Jewish family would hold a funeral for their Jewish family member because marrying a Gentile meant that you were dead to them. I mean, this is something that, this was common practice. There's a significant amount of hostility. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and you would think that this feud would just end at that point and it doesn't. In, in fact, in some regards, it, it may be even intensified a little bit because the Messiah, Jesus, he was Jewish. And so there was a lot of Jews that were emboldened in, in, in this belief that, you know, Judaism is, is the only way to God. And he ministered in Jewish areas. He had 12 Jewish men that were his disciples. And Jesus attempted on several occasions to debunk that, that, that ideology you know, he would he healed a Gentile on the Sabbath day. That's something you just didn't do. But Jesus was like, no, this is, this is about everybody. This is all inclusive. He would say parables like, uh, you know, the parable of the, the great wedding feast, that this is for everybody. And yet that seemed to not be, the, that, that truth was not getting through. In fact, it was 10 years after Jesus died and, and, and went to heaven it was 10 years after that that the gospel was really for the first time brought to the Gentiles. And that for the first time, you and I had access to this great inheritance that God had promised to the ethnic Jews for thousands of years. God encounters a man named Paul. And Paul, um, amongst other uh, Jewish men, but Paul was a Jewish man. He was through and through. I mean, he was a rabbi, an expert rabbi. And God uses a man like that and other Jewish men to say, you know what, this gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well, it's for everybody, it's for anyone who believes. And for the very first time, you see this, this starting in Acts chapter 10, at least historically, that's kind of where it started. And we won't go into that today, but this is groundbreaking theology. For the first time, anybody who believes can have access to God. And anyone who believes can, can be part of this chosen people of God. So that, just give you a little bit of background, that is all leading up to this text, amongst other texts that Paul writes to other Gentile churches, but Paul specifically here is writing to the church in Ephesus, a Gentile church, and says this, we reread it in, chapter, in, in verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, just so you know, that is a slang pejorative, derogatory, whatever you want, that, that is a negative term. That's why it's in quotes in, in many translations. By those who call themselves the circumcision, talking about ethnic Jews, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Let's stop right there for a second. The first thing that we see here if you're taking notes, is that we were all hopeless before we met Jesus. We were all hopeless before we met Jesus. And imagine for a moment the hopelessness that a Gentile must have felt before Jesus. You know, maybe you're a Babylonian or a Chaldean or an Egyptian. In the Old Testament, you're, you're, no, you're, you're a Gentile. They did not know God at all. They had no access to God. They had no, none of these covenants that God had made to his chosen people. Those didn't apply to them. They had no hope for eternity. I mean, what happens when you die? We don't know. 
There was, there was, no, there was, there was utter hopelessness. And that's where you and I, uh, most of it, that's where we came from. We were hopeless before Jesus. And we did have the option to convert and become a Jew. But it was extremely difficult. It, it was not something that was just, oh yeah, just, you can just do this and sign this little piece of paper. And you know, it wasn't that simple at all. It was extremely difficult. It meant in a, a complete lifestyle change. It had changed what you eat. Your whole diet had to change. You had to celebrate certain holidays. You had to learn a new language. You had to stop doing, you know, pagan things. You had to have extensive training in the Old Testament and the Torah. Um, Gentile men had to become circumcised. I have to imagine a lot of Gentile men, that's what, that they're out at that point. They're like, nope, okay, everything I could have done, every, not doing that. I mean, it was, it was something, there was barriers set up. Paul writes about these barriers that were destroyed once Jesus came onto the scene. Before Christ, Gentiles had intense obstacles to God. They had utter hopelessness, but Jesus comes and he abolishes that. What he did on the cross, Paul writes, abolishes those requirements. It's no longer law. It's no longer ritual. None of that is what gets you access to God. We continue reading in verse 13. Love this verse. But now, every conversion has a but now moment. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. We see here that we were reconciled to God and each other. Again, if you're taking notes, it's a good thing to write down. We were reconciled to God and to each other. Paul says, you're now part of the family. You are now part of this great inheritance, this great history, this, not, not because of bloodline, not because of the family you were born into, not because of ritual or practice, but because you simply believe. He says it a little more plainly in Romans chapter 10, verse 12. He says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, which by the way, would have probably been heretical to many Jews. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. These are groundbreaking statements Paul is making. These are brand new revolutionary statements. Uh, on Friday, my wife, Amanda, and I, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, we did, if you want to get us a gift card, go ahead. And I won't turn it down. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But seriously, you can if you want. Uh, we celebrated 10 years. And I remember back to our wedding day. And what happened on our wedding day is a lot what I, I believe Paul is describing happened here. On our wedding day, um, Amanda was a part of her family. I was a part of my family. And that day, we began a new family. It wasn't Amanda became a part of my family. It wasn't I became a part of Amanda's family. It was, it was a brand new family. And that's a lot what's going on here. Paul says, no, 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 this is not 
Okay, all the Gentiles now, now you get a free pass. You're kind of grandfathered in and you, bec- you can become a Jew. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying Jews can become Gentiles. He's saying this is a brand new way. Not an additional way, not, okay, Jews have their covenant, Gentiles, I'm going to give you a new covenant, so you both have your ways to God, which, by the way, is what a lot of, uh, is being taught today, that there are these two different tracks. Uh, that's not what's going on. He's saying this, it's one track, it's one way to God, and it's a brand new way. And in many, in many regards, it's a much more simple way. Not a less significant, not, not a, a, a less powerful way, but just a little bit more simple He says, just simply believe. Now you can imagine, if you were a Jew in that day, that would, it would almost feel like it would cheapen your entire upbringing and culture, everything that you knew. And there were some that decided to become Jewish Christians, and there were others that didn't. He's saying it's one people. It's it's Christians. He doesn't say that in this passage, but it's, no longer Jew and Gentile, it's, it's the church, it's Christians. He continues in verse 16, he says, And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Paul is saying that because of Christ's death, that God's chosen people has now shifted entirely from being ethnic Jews to being the church. All of the promises of the Old Testament, he's literally saying that the church now is the new Israel. And that anybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ can be a part of that and have that inheritance. That is revolutionary. Anyone who believes, not because of the family I was born into, not because of the traditions I keep, not because of the lifestyle I live, but because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. As a Gentile, that's tremendously good news. (laughs) That's awesome news for us. And so today, I want to just just kind of a little bit of a wrap-up, give you just a few implications. I know we've had a lot of information, a lot of historical background, but just a few like implications. What does this mean for us? What are just some little things that we can cling to and say, okay, this is this can impact the way I live my life Monday through Friday? Uh, the, the first one is simply this, and maybe it's the, the, the really the message of this entire passage for us is don't carry unreconciled relationships. Don't carry unreconciled relationships. The cross was meant not only for salvation for us, but also so that we can be reconciled to each other, so that there is not hostility between us. I believe when we have unreconciled relationships, we, in many regards, make a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. I know that's strong language, but I I really believe that uh, that was half the reason, according to the scripture, that Jesus came and died on the cross, was so that we can just get along. Jesus' death was meant to kill this hostility that exists between us. And I just encourage you today, maybe you have, and the Bible does make it clear, it says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. So there are times where there's things that become out of your control, but as much as it depends upon you, don't have unreconciled relationships. Do everything in your power to reconcile that because that's what Jesus did for us. The second one, is that cultural preferences are okay, but cultural prejudices are not. 
There's a big difference between the two. Cultural preferences are just simply, I, I prefer the way this culture does something, or I, I enjoy the way this, maybe it's a church denomination, maybe it's a, 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 you know, a group that you're a part of, maybe it's an ethnic group, I don't know, but it's okay, like, I'll just give you an example. When I was in Israel back in October, November, and some of you may have been with me, and Pastor Aaron, uh, I, I gained a huge appreciation for American food, just to be honest with you. Like, when we got back, I was like, I am so glad to have a, a hamburger and, and bacon. Uh, I'm just, and Pastor Aaron spoke about this before, but it was real. Like, I mean, after 10 days, you were just like, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready for five guys, okay? I'm just, I'm ready for that. And it's okay to have those preferences. But the moment we elevate those and say, therefore, my culture's better than another culture, is the moment we cross a line and it becomes a prejudice, and don't think for a second that we can't easily cross that line. You have to be very careful that we don't cross that line and, and, and elevate. In fact, I believe a lot of the, the major, and this is going to take it to an extreme, so I understand that, but a lot of the major significant genocides that have happened over the last hundred years all start with a group of people that have cultural preferences and they elevate those to cultural, preference, or cultural prejudices. We're better than another group of people. And Paul says, no, that's, that's why Jesus died, is so that we can kill that hostility that exists. That should not exist. I love to think that we're beyond that in the 21st century, but man, the last 100 years, there, we have seen 60 million people killed simply for being a particular ethnicity or cultural group. 60 million. In fact, if you look at the 15 largest genocides as far as number and impact, most of them have happened in the last 100 years. We've been driving cars for 100 years. Don't think for a second that this hatred does not exist today. And it's far greater than any American problems that we might face, and we do face many, when it comes to racial reconciliation. But when we elevate our culture identity above the identity we've been given in Christ, we're in a very dangerous place. Paul says Jesus came to abolish this type of ideology. There's no room for it. There's no room for it. The third thing is that we need to extend grace to others. Extend grace to others. We've been extended so much grace. When you really read through this, you just are almost overwhelmed by how this, this theology changes the way we live as Gentiles, just the access that we have to God that we wouldn't have had before Jesus came. We've been extended so much grace. So let's be a people and a church specifically that extend grace to unbelievers, that we are grace-filled with each other. Paul modeled this very well in the New Testament. In fact, um, and th this might change a little bit, maybe the way you read some of, some of Paul's letters. Paul, most of what he wrote was simply having grace on Gentiles. He was simply explaining things to Gentiles. Paul was an expert rabbi. I mean, he knew Jewish law inside and out. And so there were Gentiles that now are coming to faith and they, they don't have any of this context. They don't know anything about the Torah. They don't know any of the, the law. And the, they're just, it's very unfamiliar to them. 
And so they're asking crazy questions. I mean, when you read through some of the New Testament, man, they're asking bizarre questions. They're saying things like, can we marry our mother-in-law? I mean, quite literally, that's, they're asking things like, can we eat the meat that was sacrificed to demons and idols? Can we eat that meat? Is that okay? And Paul's like, well, first of all, we shouldn't be you know, doing that. What, what, can we get drunk? I mean, you can go down the list. They're asking all of these various things. And it would have been very easy for Paul to be impatient, I have to imagine, to just say, guys, seriously, I can't believe you're asking these questions. And Paul doesn't do that. Most of the New Testament, he spends time articulating why this is not permissible and what is permissible, what's not. He extends grace to the Gentiles. Life Church should be a place where people can simply belong before they ever believe and certainly before they ever behave. We should be that type of church. And I believe we are, but let's not rest on our laurels there. The last thing is this, let's be a welcoming church. Kind of goes hand in hand with this last statement, but let's be a welcoming church. And I believe we are, but I think we can even take steps to be more welcoming. What I mean by is this, every weekend I, I see it happen, and one of the loneliest places at Life Church is the, is the lobby right out here with 300 people in it. Because I, I watch, there's people that they don't know other people. Maybe they're new and they don't know anyone. And so they're, ner- you know, it, it, I go back to my experience in seventh grade, not knowing anyone and just waiting for somebody. I don't even care if somebody told you, you have to go say hi to them. Would I have a Dustin Ogilvie in my life that simply says, Ryan, come sit with us. Can we be that type of church? It's not an introverted or extroverted thing but it's a, it should be something that flows out of our relationship with Christ, that Jesus is that way. He's all-inclusive. He's welcoming to all, and so we should be that way because Christ is in us. Sometimes it's just a matter of letting Christ out of us, you know, and saying, you know what, I'm going to go up. To, I, nothing would make me happier than if a couple hundred people, maybe this weekend, made a commitment that said, you know what, every single weekend I come to Life Church, I'm going to say hi to somebody or welcome somebody or go and just start up a conversation with somebody that I don't know. And I'm not talking about the little meet and greet time that takes place after the music where it's like shake some hands and turn around. Like that's just a hand, uh, that's good, that's fine. And that's part of the reason why we do that. It might maybe breaks the tension and ice a little bit. But that out in the foyer that you go to somebody that maybe you don't know and just say, you know what, I'm, and, and I get the feeling because it's, Maybe they've been going here for 10 years and I've just never met them and they're going to be offended if I say, you know, who, I'm just telling you, that's, it's just nobody's going to get offended by that. Can we just all agree? I, that happens to me all the time I, or I'll meet somebody that's been going here for longer than, than I realized and I haven't met them yet. And as a pastor, I can, I can be embarrassed by that and just decide I'm not going to, you know, put myself in that position anymore, but let's be a welcoming church close with a passage of scripture today. I just simply want to read. It's a passage of scripture that Paul actually wrote to the church in Galatia. Very similar to the passage we read today. He's, he's basically explaining the same thing we read today to another Gentile church. And maybe through a new lens today, maybe uh, through a, a little different understanding, hopefully, 
this passage will jump out at you a little bit different. And I think Paul, maybe in a little more plain language, explains this dynamic that we talked about today. Galatians chapter 3, starting verse 23. It says, Before the way of, Christ, uh, of faith in Christ was available to us as Gentiles, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you.